It's time for Speaking of Speaking, quick tips and tools to take you from stage fright to spotlight. This podcast gives you an inside look from the world of public speaking and speaking secrets you need to be bold from the stage, no matter what business you're in. The host of Speaking of Speaking, Carl Richards. Thank you, Matt. It is another edition of the Speaking of Speaking podcast. I'm so thrilled to have another guest with me, Eddie Rice. Before we introduce him and tell you what we'll be talking about today, I just wanted to remind you of a couple of things. Number one is that, firstly, thank you so much for being a loyal listener. Much appreciate that. We are about to embark on another podcast shortly, probably in the next 60 to 90 days. That'll be all about podcasting, by the way. Everything about how to launch your podcast, how to write content for your podcast. We'll have guests who will be offering their insights about their journey from the podcasting and speaking world. So that's coming to go along with that. We're going to be launching a brand new Patreon program as well for both of the platforms and to go along with that as if those two things weren't big enough projects to begin with we're going to be doing back-to-back episodes on both podcasts where there will be in 30 days all right this is coming we have to put all this together first in 30 days you'll have access to 60 episodes 60 episodes. So two per day, if you really want to binge the episodes. So that's coming. So stay tuned for that. Really excited about that. And by the way, if you ever have a question, don't hesitate to reach out. It's askcarl at carlspeaks.ca. Or of course, you can leave a comment anytime and like the podcast and subscribe if you haven't already done so. Today's guest, I am very thrilled to introduce Eddie Rice. He is a professional freelance speechwriter. He has over 10 years of experience in helping business leaders, keynote speakers, TED Talk presenters, TED and TEDx Talk presenters, by the way, and ordinary everyday people enhance the messages that they tell through great storytelling and structure. He is an expert in this field. One of the things that I want to talk about as we dive into this is not just this idea of memorizing, but this idea about internalizing your message. I believe we had an episode about this previously, but who better than Eddie Rice to come and talk about it? Oh, and by the way, I should also mention that he recently released a book called Toast, Short Speeches, Big Impact. And it was released, if you're listening to this podcast, April 18th of 2022. Eddie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Carl. It's great to be here. (laughs) It's thrilled to have you, my friend. First off, congratulations on the book. Thank you very much. How's it going? Going pretty well. 100 copies sold in the first week. So you haven't sold 10 million copies yet? You can't retire on (laughs) No, no, no. I don't think so. I think with the self-published route, you're not looking to retire too soon. But congratulations, a very valid topic. Why don't we talk about that a little bit as we start as a great way to lead in? Because I do want to talk about the speech preparation and also this concept of internalizing your message. But I like the concept too of what you put together for the book, Short Speeches, Big Impact. Tell me about how this all came to be. Where was the inspiration behind it? So I think it was about three years ago when inspiration finally struck. I think for a long time, I've always had a book in me. I just didn't know what that was. And it wasn't until I sat down and said, what are the key questions that my clients almost always ask me when they need a speech? And once I figured out what those key questions were, I started to write down the answers and realized I had a decent chunk to say. And from there, it really just snowballed into the work that I was able to create. 
But to be honest, it wasn't a very easy process at first. I had this just kind of junk draft of a book and didn't know what to do with it, put it on the shelf for a little bit, COVID hit, left it alone. But then once COVID started to lift, I said, you know what, let's go back to the book. And I wrote an outline from that junk draft and then rewrote the entire thing from that outline and created a much stronger draft in the end. Well, congratulations. It sounds like a lot of hard work went into it, but also some huge inspiration. As far as short speeches go, when you say short, how short is short? (laughs) I'm aiming for about three to five minutes for most toasts. I mean, the, I guess, goal of trying to get a book out there that can help people if they have a wedding toast, a retirement toast, they're accepting an award speech, something like that. That's the type of people that I want to talk to through this book. What's one of the challenges that in your experience that people have when they're raising a glass? Is it just that they're raising a glass without any purpose or is there more to it than that? I think it's partly, you know, raising a glass without purpose or without preparation. Uh. People a lot of times work on the words tremendously and they think that they have it down, but if they haven't practiced it, then it's not going to come off very well or they just read the words off the paper and the delivery is flat. And that to me is what I want to prevent. And that's how I wrote the book where one part of it is on the brainstorming and writing process, but another part really handles the delivery and the rehearsal of the speech. They are two equal parts in this whole endeavor. Now, we don't want to give away your best stuff here. We want to make sure that anyone wanting to read the book has the opportunity to do so. And we'll make sure we drop the links in the chat at the end of the show to make sure they're available there. But what are some quick things that people should know as they're pairing? What's a way that people can practice or what's the best way they can practice? The best way you can practice, I think, is you want to have the situation to be as realistic as possible. So practicing in front of your bathroom mirror might not be the best way to do it. And I know that's kind of like old, tired public speaking advice. Yeah, What I really like to do is say the speech out loud with a voice recorder app and then play it back to yourself. So then you can hear yourself and you can hear awkward phrases. You can hear lines that land, lines that don't land, and you can edit yourself that way. But if you can take the ultimate step of going to the actual venue where you're going to be performing that toast and just even walking around and figuring out where you're going to stand, where you're going to speak and practicing it there, that's going to give you a huge leg up on the actual day that's going to boost your confidence entirely. Yeah, scoping the room is a huge one. I still do it to this very day, even as a skilled speaker, although I haven't been in many rooms lately. (laughs) The plan is sometime later in 2022 to get into some live rooms again, but certainly checking out the room. And as far as the whole bathroom mirror concept, you're right, because we don't generally take our bathroom mirror to those events to where we're going to be speaking. So we don't have that luxury of seeing ourselves back and being able to make googly faces at ourselves, which is also not a good practice for speakers anyways. All right, let's talk about this whole concept of internalizing your speech. I've been basically hammering this out to clients. And when I was attending live events or speaking at live events on a regular basis, I'd be talking about it. But how to write that speech and not just memorize it, but internalize it. What's one of the challenges when we're just writing and not internalizing our message? I think one of the challenges is when you're just writing and not internalizing your message is that you are worrying about making every single word perfect on the page. 
And I think that's okay at first to really get down and nail your message to what you want it to be. But when you're actually going to give your speech, you're not going to get every and, the, or but in the right place where it needs to be in your speech. You might move one section around. The audience is never going to know. So instead, what I tell people to do is a system called scaffolded memorization, where you write out your entire speech word for word, how you want to give it. You get comfortable with it. But then you create an outline from that version and you try to give the speech just from that outline and you forgive yourself if you make any mistakes. Then you create a shorter and shorter outline that you give your speech from. And in doing so, you are testing your memory, but also helping to internalize your message as you give it. So what I tell people to do is, look, you know, you're not going to shoot for 100% perfection. If you get 90%, if you get that A-, minus, you're in a good spot. I kind of want to play devil's advocate here, but before I do that, and I might not have to do this, I'm going to ask you another question. How well do those two work together in parallel? How well do they work together? Like having the word-for-word version and the roadmap version, how well do they work together in the speech preparation? I guess what I was going for is you start off with the words, but then eventually you go down to the roadmap version and you make that your speech. And that's what you give it off of. The words are really there just to get you started to say, hey, this is what I want to say. This is my general structure, my general outline. But eventually you abandon that and you go more for the roadmap structure of saying, these are my bullet points and this is what I'm going to deliver it from. Okay, very good. I don't have to play devil's advocate then. <laughs> because Thank you just for like you, clarify. just like you, I come from a background where I spent a number of years in Toastmasters where the messaging was firstly, you would have a couple of speeches where if you had to use notes, that was fine. But they would encourage you within the different Toastmasters clubs to move away from notes, which was fine. And it's easy for a five to seven minute speech, no problem. When it's an hour long or two hour long or three hour long keynote or workshop or something like that or a lecture, it's harder to memorize all those words. So my pushback was always, okay, well, I'm giving more than just a seven-minute talk here. How am I going to memorize it all? And I remember when I made that first jump into doing professional speaking, I tried to memorize hour-long keynotes and it just didn't work. (laughs) So I had to abandon that idea. But I like how you've paralleled or you've brought the two together and said, start with this. And then work from an outline or a roadmap. And I think one of the big things you said here is forgive yourself if you make a mistake. If you're 90% or 95%, or even if you're not at that, even if you're only 70%, there's room for growth. And obviously that means more practice. But there's also an opportunity to not beat yourself up for having it not perfect. Because I think that was one of the struggles I had was it wasn't perfect. And I was striving for the perfection where it's not the perfection. It's about having the message shine through. Would you agree with that? Agreed 100%. I think that's really the way to look at it is, did my message get through? If that answer is yes, then you've got a great speech. And that's really what you should be focusing on and not worrying about every single word or every single story in the right, perfect place. Let's talk about the introduction and your conclusion, though. Would you share with your clients or the people that you work with that if you want to be strong and memorized or on point anywhere, it should be the beginning and the end? I believe so. And I love writing the beginning and the end together because it has a more circular feel when the ending 
refers back to the opening and when you can bring up those same themes or if you promise something in the opening, you can ensure in your closing that you delivered on that promise. I love writing both of those sections together. And I think that's a strong practice to get into in addition to having them memorized and ready to go for your audience. From a rehearsal standpoint, once you have the intro and your extra down pat pretty much the way you want it, and you have your roadmap, how many run-throughs should you be doing? And I know that might be a very broad question to ask, but how much preparation time maybe is a better way to put it? Do you have a rule that you follow with how much prep time you should put into a talk? Oh, I wish I did. I mean, there are some people out there that will say for like TED and TEDx presentations that you need to run it 120 times before you get it up on stage. I've heard that number thrown out before. I mean, if you have the time, have at it and go for it. I think it's really more of a gut feeling of how prepared do you feel? And then if you can get feedback from other people along the way, that can help you really gauge how many more times you have to go through something to really have it down. But I think it's going to be really more of a gut check more than throwing out, you know, it's 100 or it's 50 or it's 20 or it's this many times per minute of speaking time. I think that's really hard to gauge and it's really going to be dependent upon your own preparation. I remember when I was vying for the coveted international speaking contest with Toastmasters, I would, before delivering it the first time at the club, it would usually be about 30 times. And again, in context, these speeches are only five to seven minutes long, or they should be. Otherwise you're disqualified, right? right? So, but five to seven minutes is the length. It doesn't take that much time to get in 30 rehearsals for a five to seven minute speech. But if it's a TEDx talk, which the last time I spoke at TEDx, it was 18 minutes. I don't know if that's still the time frame that they work on. Or if it's a keynote that could be 45 to 60 minutes, you might not have that luxury of that many run-throughs or the 120 that you mentioned. So if people don't have the luxury of that kind of rehearsal time for their talk, is there something else they can be doing as a form of practice to help them with their confidence and their comfort level with their speaking? I think what people can do is when they're writing, they can rely on stories and content that they actually know. It goes back to that internalization. There's some people that want to go out and find completely fresh stories to tell, and those are going to be a little bit harder to memorize. But if you've got stories from your life that you've lived and you've experienced, use those instead. You already know them. You've already practiced them. And it just takes a little bit more refinement and polish to go to that content that you already know, that's the content that you want to use rather than trying to reinvent something from complete scratch. I think you hit the nail right on the head there. When you're talking about things that are relevant in your life, your stories, your experiences, your journey, your hopes, your fears, your dreams, whatever they are, plus as well as the messaging, it's a heck of a lot easier to land somewhere semi-comfortably, shall we say, as opposed to I'm talking about something I have absolutely zero concept about, and I'm going to try and make it sound good. And that was one of the things that I recognized when I was in Toastmasters, that every now and again, a speaker would get brave. And they would say, I'm going to give a speech about something completely irrelevant to what they typically would talk about. And they would get caught and stuck in the middle of their content and not know how to get out of it. Mm -hmm. 
if it's your content, you can kind of wiggle your way out of it. Even if you get stuck, you can still wiggle your way through it a little bit. You can even, you know, self-deprecate using humor and say, I know this story. It's my story. You know, you can kind of laugh your way out of it if you have to. But if it's material you don't even know, you don't eat, sleep, and breathe it, it's harder to do that. Right. I think about my experience with podcasting. If I were to go on a podcast that wasn't dealing with public speaking, speech writing, toast giving, and it had to be something outside of my element, I would be struggling for 30 minutes to an hour to come up with good material and good answers to questions. I think that would just be one of the worst things in the world to experience. Yeah, if we talked about app development for cell phones or something like that. You'd say, <laughs> right, I'm well, I... out at that point. <laughs> you say, I have apps on my phone. I know how to use them. If I need help, there's an app for that. That part I know, but as far as having a discussion about it from a technical standpoint, no, you're just not going to be able to respond, let alone deliver something on that, even if it's a human interest piece. And I think that's where most people, most speakers want to land. They want to be able to put the best version of themselves forward and not just some other version based on something that they read recently. Does that make sense the way I've explained it, I guess? I think so. There are some people that will come on and say, hey, I read this recent article and they may have just skimmed it. And it's going to be really hard for them to retell the main points of that article or anything else that they've heard recently. For me, I have to prep a lot of the talking points that I talk about. Mm -hmm. Even if I know it pretty well, I'm still going through in my mind ahead of time before a podcast or other speaking opportunity, what it is that I'm going to say. I'm anticipating the questions. I'm 100% there in the prep so that I can deliver a much better presentation. Which, by the way, here's my 30-second Toastmasters evaluation for you. You've been very good with your delivery today. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) I have no points of improvement for you right now. And overall, it's been a great discussion. But I have one more thing I want to talk about because it is something that does come out of the Toastmasters world, but it doesn't only live there. We hear this all the time. And it separates a skilled or polished speaker, and maybe polished is the wrong word, maybe experienced is the right word versus a speaker who is not really clear with their messaging or comfortable in their speaking environment. And I think you know where we're going with this. Those cursed ums, ahs, like, so's, you knows, all those other catchphrases that come into people's vocabulary when we least want them to. How do you get rid of them? There's a few ways. If you go the Toastmasters route, they'll tell you it's about noticing. And for the People that have not gone to a Toastmasters meeting, there is an actual role at these meetings where people do public speaking. They give impromptu and prepared speeches. But one of the roles is the ah counter, where you have that person who points out at the end of the meeting how many ahs, ums, and so's, and buts, and all of those other fun filler words that a person said in a meeting. And it's never meant to be mean. Instead, it's to be informative and educational to help you just understand that that's something that you are doing. I mean, I know that a few of mine, I love and so. It's one of my filler words that I use. And I will at times put in you knows a plenty of times when I'm speaking. And I think that there's another way that you can get around it. It's simply by taking a pause and allowing your brain time to figure out what it wants its next word to be. Because often what's happening when we put those ums and ahs into our speaking, it's our brain searching for that next word. If we were to slow down, 
take a pause for a second, you'll eliminate most of those ums, so's, ahs, and buts. Plus, we've been taught that silence is deadly. While silence can be golden and silence can mean the difference between a very thorough, well-brought-about presentation versus one that sounds like you don't know what you're talking about. Because I find when there's too many ums and ahs, that's how you sound. You sound uneducated, uninterested, unprepared, and really, in some cases, have unrealistic expectations of what your audience is supposed to do with that messaging that you're giving them. I had a boss at one of the radio stations I worked at, and I swear to goodness, our Tuesday morning meetings could have been completed in 10 minutes instead of 30 because every second or third word out of his mouth was an um and an ah. And I wish I was making that up, but I'm not. It it was really bad. And again, coming from that Toastmasters background, it was ear splitting. It was deafening to hear it. And I hated the um and ah counter because I worked so hard to get rid of my ums and ahs as a broadcaster. Sometimes they would slide in there just colloquially and every now and again, I was pretty good, but every now and again, I'm an awe counter would say, oh, you had three ums. I'm like, I did not. <laughs> I would almost go into denial. I did not. But I think the other thing too is awareness is one, but also recognizing that, again, going to the beating yourself up part. And correct me if I'm wrong, based on how you work with people too, is if you have one or two in an 18-minute presentation, the world isn't going to crumble at your feet. If you have 182 in an 18-minute presentation, different story. Right. It's really just how much do they get in the way of your message? How much do they get into the way of your actual delivery? One or two in a speech is not going to do anything. But you're right. 182, you might be speeding at that point. And what's it doing to your credibility if you are not aware of what your filler words are? If it's not an um or an ah, I actually graduated to the word actually. At one point, I don't know why, I just actually did it. That one was intentional, by the way. But you don't know if you're not told and somebody doesn't share with you. I think that's the other message too, is if you're giving a presentation such as a talk on a TEDx stage or TED stage or any other stage where it's really, really important, you should probably get a hold of a guy like Eddie to give your presentation a once-over, to give it some feedback based on your delivery, based on how internalized is your message, based on, and you might sit there with a counter, with a little tally, tallying the ums and ahs, to get the feedback they need so that when you do deliver on the real stage, it lands where you want it to be. Yes, please reach out. I would love to help you out, whether you have a completely revised speech or you're still just in the early stages of what it is that you want to say. I can help you at both of those stages to polish it up and to make it your true message that you want to get out there. Eddie Rice has been my guest today. This has been a great discussion, Eddie. It's nice to talk to somebody who also speaks a similar language as I do when it comes to speaking and presenting, especially the internalizing of the message part. And I like the concepts then how you've brought it together and mirrored the scripted piece with the roadmap. I like that those can work well together in tandem. They don't have to be completely separate. You know, use both if you feel it's going to help you. I want to give you the opportunity though to, you've shared a little bit about the book already, but give you an opportunity to talk a little bit more about it if you like. And certainly how can people find it, I guess, is the biggest thing. Sure. Let's handle where people can find it first. It's every major retailer that's out there from Amazon to Barnes & Noble to wherever you buy audiobooks or eBooks. It should be on there at this point now. And what you're going to get from the book are a few things. 
first, you're going to get my entire process that I work through with clients. So everything from brainstorming to outlining to structure to final draft and delivery, all of that's in there. In addition, I have sample speeches. So if you are stuck on what to say and want to see inspiration for how other people have tackled a wedding toast, a retirement toast, an award speech, you can read those speeches and get ideas for your own. So it's really two in one is what you are getting from this book. Excellent. And I'll make sure that the links go in the show notes. So if you're hearing this podcast, you should be able to click over to the show notes and the links for Eddie's book should be there, especially if it's on Amazon for sure, but we'll make sure it's there. Eddie Rice, again, thanks for being my guest today. Before I let you go, any final thoughts you'd like to pass on to the audience? When it comes to giving a toast, what I would tell you to do is two things. Honor the person and honor the event. If your speech can do that in five minutes for a toast that you have to give at a wedding or retirement ceremony or any similar one, you're going to be in a good spot. Excellent. Eddie, thanks so much for being my guest today. Carl, it was absolutely wonderful. Thank you for a great conversation. And remember, as Eddie would probably join me in saying this, as a guy who speaks as well, get out there and own the platform. Thanks for listening to the Speaking of Speaking podcast. Fired up about something you heard today? Want to learn more? Be sure to visit carlspeaks.ca. And don't forget to follow Carl on Twitter at carlrichard72 or join the Facebook group Speaking of Speaking 